We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Between the advent of radio and film, but before the television revolution, Comic books became a popular way to transport kids to different worlds without leaving home. With dynamic storytelling, unique characters, vivid colors, and cliffhangers, the medium spun heroic tales for generations. Whether on a distant make-believe planet or on the dark, gritty streets of Gotham City, readers are roped in by the knowledge that in comics, anything and everything is possible. I think they provide a very wholesome escape from reality to young children and allow them to dream and relax and have some just good, clean, fun and fantasy and learn how to use their imaginations. And with technological advances in media, the biggest names in print have jumped off the pages and into mainstream culture. Over the last decade, comic books have spawned nearly 40% of the highest grossing films at the domestic box office. As more fans become invested in an art form where alienation and secret identities often drive the plot, there have been both great strides for and a vocal backlash against new black characters or the reimagining of a popular hero as a person of color. The debate even spilling into franchises that didn't originally begin at the newsstand, but are often lumped in with comic storytelling, like Star Wars, Disney films, or the James Bond series. There is a divided community, and that's disappointing because comics should be for everyone. That's my belief. In this episode, we'll look at the history of black representation in comics, from the characters themselves to the creators who made them, and how the industry currently is more focused on showcasing powerful heroes from different demographics in both lead and supporting roles. I'm Mai Martinez, and this is Courier Pigeon. The fictional metropolis of the comic book world has all the hustle and bustle of a real-life major city like Chicago. But hop on I-57 South and drive for about 350 miles, and you'll find Metropolis, Illinois. With a population just under 6,000, it's a town small enough for a real-life, unassuming Clark Kent to grow up in. But what stands in Metropolis's quaint downtown square to honor the most famous comic book character of all time is anything but small. A 15-foot, full-colored bronze statue unveiled in 1993. That same year, the Super Museum, touted as the largest collection of Superman memorabilia on the planet, opened just a few steps away. Metropolis even holds an annual summer festival to honor the Man of Steel. This year marks Superman's 85th anniversary, and his reach continues to grow. 
Rare original copies of Action Comics issue number one, where the last son of Krypton makes his first comic book appearance in June of 1938, have sold at auction for close to $3.5 million as recently as last year. John Suntress is a former CBS radio reporter and host of Word Balloon, a podcast about comics. WBBM podcast producer Ariel Ravenet asked him why he thinks Superman's popularity has endured for more than eight decades. Well, I do think it's a universal story that I think a lot of people who come to the United States can also relate to in terms of he's a stranger from a strange land. He wants to be a United States citizen. He wants to uh, seem as human as possible, even though he's got the cape and the big S and, and can do all these great things. Really, he just wants to help people. So there's just this inherent goodness about Superman. What can I do to help? It's kind of Superman's message. And I think that's why Superman is this symbol of hope. And vice president and co-founder of the African-American Film Critics Association, Daryl Lockhart, told WBBM podcast producer Jim Hankey that the influence of Superman looms larger than any superhero. So much so, the character has seeped into our collective subconscious, even if we've never read the comics or followed his story. The psychologists will tell you that when you are feeling low, um, when you want to empower yourself, you get in front of a mirror and you do the, the thing, your hands on your hips, right? And so you, you're doing the Superman pose. You're doing the pose that we saw off in the 30s. In your mind, you know, you see the cake behind you, so it's invisible, but you see it, you're empowering yourself. Superman first appeared in magazine form in 1933. Then later, comic strips in newspapers, and eventually his own dedicated comic books. The legendary superhero who has fought for truth, justice, and the American way was created by Jewish immigrants Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. And originally, their goal was just to make enough money to help their Eastern European families. In fact, in 1938, they sold the exclusive rights to the character of Superman to Detective Comics, later rebranded as DC Comics, for just $130. With adjusted inflation, that's just under $3,000 today. A creator of Afrocentric characters in the world of independent comics, Tertel Only is also an adjunct professor of art appreciation and drawing at Harold Washington College in downtown Chicago. He says what we call the golden age of comics couldn't happen without certain economic anxieties and talented artists settling for peanuts. During the Great Depression, if anybody paid you a sandwich to draw, you were happy to get that sandwich. Okay, so the Golden Age benefited from the Great Depression, that you had people with incredible skill sets coming out of World War One and then World War Two that were willing to go with those deals, and that became the standard. If you have any questions, let me know. Um, do you have Riddler Year One or no? Which issues? Terry Gant owns Third Coast Comics, a retailer on Chicago's Loyola University campus. It is currently the only black-owned comic book store in the city. Well, like in a way, the comics are like our American mythology. We have a way of looking at the world through comics, right? We've we've helped to disseminate what's happening globally through comics. The American comic industry entirely exists because of fighting anti-Semitism during World War II, right? We wouldn't have these things if people weren't driven out of Europe, coming over here, not allowed to have their jobs in, in their fields of advertising and marketing and various other forms of journalism. They were given comics because no one thought comics mattered. And oh, lo and behold, look, Superman comes out of that. Like that's what comics are to the American pop culture and always has been. It's always been important to tell these kind of stories
Superman's inherent goodness that John mentioned earlier meant much more than just stopping evildoers. He was a beacon to the downtrodden during the Great Depression. Well, Superman in particular came during the height of the Depression and um, was really seen, frankly, uh, as a social justice warrior. And he was there to solve problems, not just catch bad guys. One of the early issues of Action Comics featured Superman going into a slum and really using his superpowers, cleaning it up. I mean, literally beyond taking care of the corrupt landlords, really going in and refurbishing the, the apartments into decent living spaces. And uh, all of that was really important to Depression-era people. And even though Superman would eventually battle fictional villains like General Zod or Lex Luthor, John says at the time, having him tangle with real-life tyrants in the comics was part of the attraction. Just the idea of this kind of adventurer who could solve any problem was such a, a great idea. There, there was even in one of the news magazines, while the League of Nations still existed, the precursor to the United Nations, and the era of fascism was climbing in the uh, pre-World uh, War II era as far as our involvement, the U.S.'s involvement in World War II, uh, they had Superman capture uh, Hitler and Mussolini and put them on trial at the League of Nations. So, so yeah, I mean, Superman really was the right hero for the right time. Though it seems Superman and comics in general were released as a response to real-life oppression, Black representation in this medium was still years away. Damon L. Fordham is a lecturing historian, author, and adjunct professor of history at the Citadel. And to give you an idea how the effect of this type of thing would have had on a child at that time, in 1968, when Charles Schulz first put Franklin, the black child, in the, uh, in the Peanuts comic strip, I read an account of a young boy who literally cried tears of joy when he saw Franklin because he was so unaccustomed to seeing a black child in the comic strip, and he, like most black children, loved comics. So that says a mouthful right there of the effect that a black child in 1947, when things were far worse than they were in 1968. Now, interestingly enough, speaking as a perspective of a black person, had I been a boy at that time, it would have set my mind on fire because I was a black comic book loving kid. His reference to 1947 in that clip is key because that year marked the debut of Lion Man. Known to the comics community as the first black comic book superhero, he was introduced in the first issue of all Negro comics, which cost 15 cents at the time. But as Damon says, the journey to get just one black superhero had its trials and tribulations. Even before Lion Man, there was a black character that was called Wuda, as in voodoo, but it's Wuda, right? He came along in uh, Crown Comics in the fall of 1945. But for reasons that are not clear, but somewhat obvious to our generation, they uh, turned the character white after the first few issues. And he was written and drawn by uh, a Black artist, as a matter of fact. That was the first known case of a Black character in the comic books. Soon after Voodoo's first appearance, Damon says the Chicago Defender, founded in 1905 and eventually grown to be the most influential black newspaper of its time, began running comic strips like Bungleton Green and the Mystic Commandos, Torchy Brown, and Patty Joe and Ginger, all showcasing black main characters. So this leads us then into all Negro comics. 
and it was uh, published by a really fascinating individual. Warren C. Evans came up with this idea that Black children had to have their own funny books that they could relate to and their own heroes and all of that. And that is of extreme importance because you got to remember that during the segregation days, Black people were assaulted not only physically, but psychologically through segregation, as well as negative images in both the movies and the comic books. So he figured that this would be a good way to remedy that would be to have this Black comic book anthology, all Negro comics, that had these uh, comical characters, one guy named Sugarfoot, who was a sort of a comedian type character. He also had a Black detective called Ace Harlem. But then significantly, there was Lion Man. And the, not only did he have this little African boy as a sidekick, he was fighting off a uh, white man who was trying to colonize his community in Africa. And so this happening during a time of real colonization uh, in the African continent, that just set off so many interesting messages for young children of that time. But unfortunately, due to the times, all Negro comics did not last more than one issue because many refused to stock it. According to our guest this week, even well into the 1960s, if a comic book company wanted to feature a superhero of color, there were countless instances of printers, distribution companies, and brick-and-mortar stores that wouldn't touch it. And with comic books relying heavily on word of mouth or a visual identity at a local retailer, that's an aspect that would stop a black superhero from gaining any sort of traction. And he just says, look, what you're doing is really interesting. We're not going to publish it. Nobody's going to publish it. And if you want to do it, you got to publish it yourself. I'm like, all right. You know, I got the word. So I just started changing my whole direction, came back to Chicago and morphed from a freelance illustrator studio to becoming an independent publisher. In 1993, Tertel launched the Black Age of Comics Convention here in Chicago. Since then, it's been hosted in other major cities, including Atlanta and Detroit. One of the things we point out when we say black is kind of like a flavor. You know how you go down the street and the sign says Mexican food? And you say, hmm, I'm curious, and you go in and check it out, right? Well, a lot of times when you say black, people get nervous and say, well, it must only be for black people. And that is not what we're doing. What we're doing is expanding the comic book industry. Tertel says what motivated him to start the Black Age of Comics gathering was a visit to a major comic book headquarters and a racist experience. I go in to meet the executive in charge of acquisitions and new talent. And when I walk in, he's shocked to see that I'm black. I mean, he's shocked. And when I sit down, he says, do black people read? And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a long interview. And so, um, you know, the therapist in me is kind of feeling sorry for him because he really believes what he's saying. So I thought the industry needs something so that if somebody black walks in your office, you're not shocked. Even one of Marvel's most bankable heroes, Black Panther, was a tall order to get off the ground. Damon tells us it required tactful, intentional mystery. When Stan Lee and Jack Kirby created the Black Panther character in 1966, they played it slick by not putting the fact that he was black on the cover, and they got away with it. 
Black kids, of course, were astounded by this. It just set a lot of their minds on fire because it's a little known fact that Black kids loved comics in those days. I'm here to tell you, I was one of them. And so for years, Black kids read Superman and Batman and Wonder Woman and all of that. I'll be honest with you, the fact that most of the comic book characters when I was a boy were white is something that uh, I just kind of took for granted. I did not see a Black comic book until I saw a Fat Albert comic book around 1976 when I was uh, 12 years old. It was a big trend of that in that late 70s, 60s period where it was just this golden age of Black characters on these cartoons and comic strips and later in comic books. And I really believe that my confidence in accomplishing what I've done since then, those things played a small part in making me what I am today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Even though I was making comics as early as seven, I never considered comics as a career until like 2011. I was like 21 at that time. And it was less because I didn't think I could do it. It was more because it never came up as an option to me. I never considered it because I didn't see anyone that looked like me making comics. The idea of maybe you should make comics for the rest of your life, that never happened until I saw someone else do it and they looked like me. That's Steens, a non-binary black cartoonist based in St. Louis who works on the nationally syndicated comic strip, Heart of the City. It began in 1998 and was recently picked up by an animation studio to potentially make it a TV series. One of the things I noticed when I picked up Heart of the City was the, the lack of people of color in the book because she lives in Philadelphia, you know? And so I was like, this has to look a little more realistic. I put in things that are a part of my life into the comics. So uh, there's Charlotte all the time, who is uh, Hart's, one of Hart's friends. She's black and um, she changes her hairstyle a lot, whether it's in a poof or whether it's in braids. Usually if it's in braids, it's the winter. And so, cause that's just, you know, you want your hair to be protected in the winter. And uh, so that's the kind of thing that I put in there that is, not really saying anything in my opinion, except that this is just the life that she lives. You know, her sister is like sitting her on the couch while she installs her new braids while having a conversation with Hart and Kat about like the next play. So it's like stuff like that, small things go into it that kind of add to the realism of the world. Damon echoes that sentiment and adds, to those who came before him, seeing any sort of Black representation felt like a cultural event. People who were slightly older than me will tell you that prior to that, whenever Black people appeared on television, 
people would call each other and say, colored people are on TV. And they would just literally flock to all of that. I missed that by just a couple of years. And I'm very glad that I missed out on all of that because I was of the first generation to take black cartoon characters and that sort of thing for granted. But again, I'm glad I did because it made a great big difference in how I saw myself and how I saw my ability to do things and how I saw the world. Science fiction and comics led to sci-fi on TV, including the original Star Trek, which changed everything for Daryl. The first episode that I ever saw was an episode called The Ultimate Computer. And in that episode, there is this black man sort of standing up to Captain Kirk and explaining how smart he is. And I, um, the, the way the story of my family goes is I then turned around to my mom and said, we're going to be in the future. And it was really that sort of presence that really drew me in. In recent years, we've seen more black actors portraying heroes and villains who were originally white in the comics, including Valkyrie from Thor, Baron Mardot from Doctor Strange, and the Fantastic Four's Human Torch. This, along with the casting of actors of color in original roles, like in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series on Disney+, and queer representation in the Prince Superman franchise, has led to a fierce debate among comic fans around the world. John says the opposition to these changes might be loud, but it's outnumbered. I think there are, are there's a segment of frustrated fans that have weaponized their frustration, frankly. There's a movement called Comicsgate that uh, very much is against any changes to what has come before. And they are very vocal and they've got news websites that are slanted to their point of view and they are very loud on social media. But I don't think they represent as big of an audience as their loudness would suggest, much like in the political sphere or the social sphere. They're just loud in that way that social media allows you to be loud. I do think there was, there was a, an appreciable hit to sales of comic books because some of these fans have been like, right, I'm not going to read this anymore. You've made your choice, Marvel. You've made your choice, DC. I'm not with you anymore. Goodbye. But they still pay attention and they still talk about it, even though they're not reading it, which is very interesting. Um, and then there's the, you know, the other side that also has this, it's extremists in terms of these books don't represent uh, the changing or the current society enough. And shame on you. I'm never going to read you again. They have the same, they have the same reaction, which is, is kind of crazy. So then there are people, I think, in the middle that are like, hey, just tell good stories. When we spoke to Black contributors for this episode, all of them echoed a similar statement. Established movie franchises, TV shows, and comic books don't need characters to change race, gender, or orientation. Instead, original and completely fresh tales would entertain current audiences and inspire the next generation. Damon explains. With all of these young Black writers and artists and cartoonists, why not just create your own stuff out of pure cloth instead of reinventing the wheel and doing what it's been done before? You know, I was in Africa over the summer and I spent a lot of time around African storytellers while I was there. And there's so much out there as far as black fiction, black folklore, African mythology and all of that, that we could do instead of worrying about uh, making a black aerial or a 
black Pinocchio or a black Snow White or anything like that. Make up your own thing and just take it from there. In addition, Daryl says more heroes should come without all the bells and whistles of capes and emblems, like the established Marvel character Luke Cage, who fights crime on the real-life streets of New York City. Even if you're not from the weirdness of whatever New York is, um, Luke Cage calls out to you. And it's just like, wow, so that that's another way that I can be powerful. That's another way. I don't need a cape. I don't even need a special suit. Like I can just wear what I'm wearing and, and, and get respect on the street. That is the kind of thing that, um, that I'm hoping that we see more of because those stories inspire people. Tertel says that fans seeking more diversity in comics shouldn't rely only on major publication companies because there are plenty of smaller independent publishers doing that exact work. A lot of times I speak on diversity panels at like San Diego Comic Con or in Chicago C2E2. And there's always people in the audience that want the mainstream to reflect their ideology or their interests or their values. But they're not willing to support small independent companies that are already doing that. Because a lot of times I'll say, if that's what you want to see, go to Artist Alley. There are people doing it right now, and they won't go. It's like they want it to be from the big-time mainstream or not at all. It's, it's almost like, you know, if you were going to have a hamburger, it could only come from three sources or it's not a hamburger. And to Steens, it doesn't just begin and end with the characters themselves. True change needs to happen at the top. And I think it doesn't start with representation on the page. I think it starts with representation in the office. You know, we have to have people of color on every level of this or else you're going to end up with problems. Vice presidents of, you know, sales and marketing, I'm talking publicists, I'm talking editors, I'm talking acquisitions managers, because without that, we're only pulling from one pool. And so if we have people in all of those steps throughout the production process, there's so much more out there that's not being seen because only the same people are the ones that are doing all the picking and all the choosing. In the Disney Plus series, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, there's a scene where the black hero played by Anthony Mackie, after just saving the world with the rest of the Avengers in the film Endgame, cannot secure his sister a bank loan. Daryl says both that scene and another pivotal moment with an older black character named Isaiah Bradley speak directly to the realities of the black experience in America and why even in fantasy, these realities are important. That bank loan scene almost drew tears. And then there's a confrontation between him and Isaiah, where Isaiah's like, you're dreaming. They're never going to let you hold that shield. They're never going to, because it's the, almost a generational conflict of parent to son, right? It was just like, we've gone through hell. You think you're just going to be able to walk in? <laughs> walk in? That's not going to happen. And so that confrontation, followed by the way that the series ends with that scene with, with Isaiah, that's heavy. Um, because yes, it's fantasy, but it is really symbolic of the, of the exchange between the generations. Like we've seen hell. We don't want our kids to see hell. We want them to see the world that we, that was promised. Thanks for listening to this episode of WBBM Courier Pigeon, our newest podcast. 
Subscribe to us on the Odyssey app, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts so you don't miss an episode. WBBM Courier Pigeon is an original podcast production. It's hosted by Mai Martinez, produced, written, and edited by Ariel Ravenet, Jim Hankey, and Lizzie Baumgartner. Reporting for this episode was done by Jim Hankey and Ariel Ravenet, with editorial direction by Mai Martinez and Lizzie Baumgartner. Thanks for listening to WBBM Courier Pigeon. I'm Mai Martinez. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.